0: Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from his word today. Well, welcome again to Bible Center. So great to have you here. I'm Matt Friend, the senior pastor uh, welcome on a Sunday morning. If you call this your church home, uh, we're glad you're here. Hopefully you're growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us know how we can help you do that uh, more effectively. If you're a guest, we're glad to have you here as well. Love to help you get connected, plugged in to the life and ministry of our church. For those who are joining us online, thank you for tuning in. Uh, it's great to have you here online. Feel free to message us. Let us know how we can be praying for you This week, if you would take your Bible or your Bible app and turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to dive in in just a moment. Acts chapter 8. And while you're turning there, let me just let you know where we are in the series. This year, we have set aside 12 Sundays, carved out 12 Sundays to address 12 big why questions uh, the elders and I believe there is a number of questions that folks have, things like, why do we do communion? Why do we celebrate Easter? Why do we celebrate Good Friday? Um, this We've talked about why Mother's Day? Uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about why baptism. Why do we as a church celebrate baptism? And our prayer for these messages as they live on our website for years to come is that they'll become a, almost a, a place where people can refer back anytime they have a question or if you're discipling somebody, you can point them specifically to this message about why we believe what we believe about baptism. So let's go ahead and jump right in. We've got a lot of work to do. Acts chapter 8 and verse 5. Will you stand with me out of respect for God's word? Acts chapter 8, and we'll start in verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Imagine with me this story, a man named Philip. We're going to call him Phil, packing his suitcase to go on a mission trip. Phil wasn't a member of the clergy. He wasn't a paid pastor, but he was a faithful man in his church, probably a businessman who took some time off work to go on a mission to reach the city or area of Samaria with the gospel. Now, we don't know what was going through his mind, but he was probably excited to know that he was going to a place that Jesus loved dearly. Jesus spent a lot of time in and around Samaria. And while other people rejected the Samaritans, Jesus went right to where they were. And so Philip is probably excited, but Phil is probably also nervous. He's wondering, am I ever going to return home? Am I packing my suitcase for the last time? Because you see, the Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans because they considered them like a half breed. To them, they they weren't pure Jews. Think of Harry Potter and muggles. They thought they were muggles, they weren't as good as they were. Uh, But the Samaritans also hated the Jews. They would actually rob, mug, uh, they would assault pilgrims as they came south through Samaria to Jerusalem, taking their money and their sacrifices. I read this week of one occasion, no lie, where actually the Samaritans on one occasion took catapults and catapulted pigs into the temple square on Passover just because they knew it would defile the Jewish religion. When I was reading that, I was thinking about Monty Python and the Holy Grail and Trojan rabbits and all those kinds of things, but it actually happened. So they hated one another, but yet Philip goes to this city to reach them with a gospel. I love the way he served. He served exactly the way Jesus served. You see, he served through good works and gospel words, words and works. You'll hear that many, many times over the years because words and works are both important to gospel ministry. So it tells us that he actually met physical needs, he met spiritual needs, he, he helped those who were poor, he helped those who were hurting, those who were afflicted. He did amazing things. It doesn't tell us he had a team. I would have preferred that he has a team with him, that he doesn't go alone, but nevertheless, it seems like he was alone meeting physical needs. But after a season, you can imagine as he drew a crowd, if it was indeed the city of Samaria, there was an amphitheater there. And you can picture as he announces around town, hey, at three o'clock tomorrow, I'm going to be telling you what these good works are all about. And so the next day comes and he continues to pass the word at three o'clock today, meet me in the amphitheater. I'm going to tell you what these good works are all about. And finally, that moment comes and Philip shares the gospel, possibly in the amphitheater. And at the end of the service, just imagine, we don't know exactly how he did it. Throughout the centuries, churches have done services a little bit differently. But picture as maybe he said, probably not, but maybe, bow your head and close your eyes and picture as everybody bows their head and closes their eyes. And he says, how many of you will say today, I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ? And maybe he's hoping one person raises their hand. Maybe two people would raise their hand. But as he looks all over the amphitheater, people begin to raise their hands saying, today I'm deciding to follow Jesus. Today I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. How does Philip end the service? What's he going to do next? Those of us who grew up in this area, depending on the type of church you went to, maybe you're wondering if he's gonna give an altar call, right, is he going to like sing 20 verses of Just As I Am and have you come down front to the altar? Is that what Philip's going to do? Or, or maybe Philip's just gonna say, okay, that's it, go have a great day, beat the Methodist to the buffet bar, go enjoy lunch. Is that what he's going to do? He doesn't do either of those, those things. Instead, Philip does something radical. You can just picture as he has everybody look him in the eyes and he says, if you just raised your hand and you wanna follow Jesus, meet me down by the river in five minutes. And it seems like right when the service was ended, he begins to baptize dozens, if not hundreds of people. So the invitation in the early church was to baptism itself. If you want to follow Jesus, Philip would say, hey, get baptized right away. That's the message I want to preach this morning in the next few minutes. If you follow Jesus, get baptized this summer. In the next few minutes, I'm going to do the very best I can to preach a convincing message about why it's so important that you follow the Lord in believers' baptism. Now I recognize around this auditorium, there's three types of people. There's those of you who've already been baptized. Let me ask you, please don't tune me out. Please don't tune me out. You're like, hey, you know, I've already been baptized. I can just sleep through the rest of the sermon. I would ask you to pray for me in the next few minutes. The sermon is fairly short, but I believe it's very, very important. So pray that the right God would give me the right words to say and for clarity of thought as I preach. But I'm also preaching to folks and maybe many of you have never been baptized. And so what I want to do in the next few minutes is give you the information from God's word, not from tradition, not from me, but from the word of God. So you can make an informed decision about your next step in discipleship. And then I'm also preaching to some and maybe you were baptized as an infant. I'm sure you don't remember it. My wife's grandpa, even until the day he died, said he remembered when he was like eight days old getting baptized. We're like, Grandpa, you do not remember that. That is impossible. You do not remember. But maybe you were baptized as an infant and you've just got questions about that. How does that fit in God's word? Why do we not do that here at Bible Center? I also want to do my best to answer those questions and give you concrete answers so you can make an informed decision. So I'm going to give you six reasons to be baptized this summer number one why get baptized it's one of the first things christians do after we decide to follow jesus it's one of the first things christians do after we decide to follow jesus in the bible salvation doesn't come by being baptized there is no verse there is no doctrine The church by large has never believed that someone gets into heaven because of a good work that they do, at least not a church that is pure to the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done. One good example of this about how baptism doesn't get you into heaven or that it's not required to go to heaven is Luke 23. Jesus is dying on the cross. He has two thieves, one on each side. One of the thief rejects him, the other thief accepts him. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. That thief never had an opportunity to be baptized, but yet that thief died and went to be with the Lord. There's no delay though in the Bible between salvation and baptism. And I think that's why sometimes there's been confusion in the church. Because when you look in the Bible, they were very urgent. If you believed, they wanted to get you down to the river right away to be baptized. And so though baptism isn't required, it is very closely connected, often happening near the same time. Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. Notice the timing here. It says, but when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Acts 2:41. those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3000 were added to their number that day. So two things happened that day, they believed that day And they were baptized that day. There was no waiting period. There was no like, hey, we're going to watch your life for three years and we're going to scrutinize and see if you really are a Christian, then we might let you get baptized. There was none of that. It was, you believe, get baptized right away. Acts chapter eight and verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the Ethiopian eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. It's a great story later in our chapter. Acts chapter 9 and verse 18. I love it. Immediately, Dr. Luke is writing the book of Acts. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Acts chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. On the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. She and the members of her household were baptized. So he met her by the river, shared the gospel with her by the river, and right there, that very day, that very same time, she's baptized in the river. One more verse. There's like two dozen of them, but we're gonna go one more. Acts 16, 31 through 34. Paul is in a Philippian jail. The Lord opens the jail door, the cell door, so he can be released. Paul could have run away. But instead, Paul stays because he believes the Lord wants him to witness to the jailer. The jailer, hearing that the doors had been opened, knowing that he would be executed if the prisoners escaped, he's about to kill himself in Acts 16. And I love what Paul does. Paul stays because he loved the jailer. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Now, if you look at Acts 16, this is a verse that sometimes people use to prove that babies should be baptized. They say, well, the Philippian jailer, him and all his household, they were all baptized. Well, there's a problem with that logic. One, the text never says there were babies. Two, it says that everybody in the household heard the word and everybody in the household believed the word. So if we're just going to go with what the Bible says, the Bible nowhere from cover to cover ever gives us an example of a baby being baptized. Baptism is something we do after we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here at Bible Center, we do offer child dedication twice a year. Child dedication, as we do it, is not word for word in the Bible. So there's nothing in the Bible that says twice a year, thou must do child dedication, right? We, we just kind of infer that, we add that in. There's nothing wrong with dedicating children, right? Like it's a good thing. It's a formal way. There's a lot of things we do in church that aren't clearly spelled out, but they are good things. So I have friends that pastor churches where as part of their dedication services, they will sprinkle the child with water or they'll pour water over the baby's head as part of the dedication, As long as we're not saying that somehow that water magically saves that child's soul, then I'm not gonna argue very long with my pastor friends who do that. It's just a formality that they do as part of dedicating those children to the Lord as becoming part of the children of the covenant. But here at Bible Center, uh, we've chosen not to use water with our child dedication because we believe one, it's not in the Bible, and two, it can be confusing. So what we emphasize to these babies who will grow up in our children's ministry, they'll come a day, they're going to hear the gospel, and we're going to urge them to believe. And when these children believe, we're going to urge them to be baptized. If you're here and you were baptized as a child, one, call your parents and thank them for raising you in church. Two, thank God for his word and its influence in your life. I believe that influence brought you here this morning. But if you have never been baptized since you personally chose to put your faith in Jesus, let me encourage you to do it this summer because baptism is the first step of obedience after we become a follower of Jesus Christ. If you have more questions or you really want to dig deep into this subject, let me recommend a good book to you. Uh, there are questions that I purposely haven't answered because it would take too long. The baptism of disciples alone, a covenantal argument for credo-baptism versus pato baptism If you're interested in that, this is not light devotional reading, okay? If you want light devotional reading, buy Max Licato. But if you're interested in really going deep into this subject or you have some legit questions, this is the best book on the subject, it's not long, but it will be helpful. Number two, why baptism? It's a public confession that we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a public confession that we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How many of you have seen a baptism, either at Bible Center or some other church? you've seen a baptism. Most of us have seen it. Here's a picture, I, I like this picture. When you baptize someone, you're taking them under the water, you hold them there for about 90 seconds. No, I'm just kidding. totally joking, totally kidding. That's actually the number one question I get asked. How long are you gonna, I did a baptism class before this service. How long are you gonna hold us under? It's like half a second. You hold your breath, boom, it's super fast. Um, so, I lost my train of thought, okay, baptism. You go under the water and you come back out of the water. Think about the symbolism in that. It is intended, according to Romans chapter 6, to be a picture of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. Colossians 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now, here at Bible Center, we choose to baptize through what we call immersion. Uh, We don't sprinkle with water or pour with water, but we believe the best way to illustrate the death, burial, and resurrection is by putting somebody totally under the water and quickly bringing them back up. Why do we use this mode of baptism? Well, this isn't in your notes, but if you wanna take notes on this, the very word baptism, baptizomai, means to dip or plunge or immerse. Uh, The Greeks would use this word when they put their pen, they dipped their pen in ink. They would baptizoma, they would dip, immerse their pen. I read this week of a a doctor, actually 200 years before Jesus. They found in his archives, 200 years before Jesus, his recipe for making pickles. Now I promise you, this has validity to the sermon. Listen to his recipe for making pickles. This Greek physician was named Nicander or Niconder. 200 BC, he wrote this. Bapto, he said, which means to dip quickly. Bapto, the cucumber, in water, and then baptizo, immerse, or let it soak, in vinegar. Let the cucumber soak in vinegar. So this word was very commonly understood to mean not to pour, not to sprinkle, but to dip. A little, little lesson from history. Why did the word baptizomai not get translated immerse in English? Well, because the Church of England wouldn't have allowed it. If you were translating this in the English uh, 500 years ago, you dare not go against the king or the established religion. And so they were chickens, and they just simply used the word as it was without defining it in the modern translation. John 3:23. This is one of those verses you just it's hard to argue with. John 3:23 says this. Now John was baptizing in Enon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. John would not have needed plenty of water if he was just going to sprinkle people who believed. But you need plenty of water if you're going to dunk them, immerse them, in that form of baptism. Now, a question maybe that's on your mind is this Pastor, what do we feel or how do you feel about somebody? Maybe you were baptized after you put your faith in Jesus, but maybe somebody poured water on you or they sprinkled water on you after you became a follower of Christ. How do we feel about that? Well, I want to say that there is grace. And I'm not going to be 100% dogmatic personally. Here's why. As you look in church history, there's actually whole, not only denominations, but regions of the world where they baptized through pouring and sprinkling for hundreds, if not more than a thousand years. Places where deep water was hard to find. And you actually read the writings of church fathers, they would make allowance for it. Now, I didn't grow up that way. I grew up pretty fundamental, pretty strict, everything that I believed, I thought everybody had to believe just like me or they were wrong. Um, But I've come to learn that's not always the case. I remember the first time I had to sprinkle someone for baptism. I was actually a staff member right here at Bible Center 12 years ago. Some of you just woke up. You're like, what? Yeah, there was a guy in the hospital and I called Dave Jones. He put his faith in Jesus, but he wasn't getting out of his hospital bed. And I called Pastor Dave Jones, our care pastor. Some of you know Dave. And I said, Dave, this guy's put his faith in Jesus and he's asking to be baptized. He's got tubes all over him and wires all over him. There's no way he's getting in the water. I'm trying to tell him he doesn't need to be baptized to go to heaven. I even read him the passage about the criminal on the cross. Like, bro, it's okay. He's like, no, at least like sprinkle me or pour water on me. So I called Dave and I'm thinking Dave is going to tell me, do not do it unless you can dunk him in the water. Right? And those doctors and nurses were not about to let that happen and they shouldn't. And I, I said, Dave, what should I do? He said the most spiritual thing, the wisest words I, I think I've ever heard. Do you have a water bottle? <laughs> That's what he said. You had a water bottle? Then just pour some water or sprinkle him. It's going to be okay. At our church in Louisville, where Pastor Mike and I come from, we immerse just like we do here at Bible Center. But there was a lady that had a, just a, a real problem with her ears. Her husband was a doctor and he said, it doesn't matter how much cotton balls you put in your ear, her ear, she's not getting dunked, but she wants to get baptized. And so our elders agreed that, hey, there are circumstances. And so we actually, not we, our senior pastor had me do it because I think he was chicken. Uh, And so I had to pour water over her as part of her baptism. Here's the issue. We are not gonna die on that hill as a church. If you come to faith in Jesus and you come from some other tradition, we love you and I'm so glad you're here. I want you to be part of our church. But as a church, I've got 26, 27 years left, God willing, as your senior pastor. For the 26, 27 years that I'm here, we will always do immersion unless there's some kind of extenuating circumstances. Why are we gonna do that? Well, the reason is just simple. We believe as elders and pastors that immersion is the best picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's why we do what we do. And we wanna show you that picture more and more over the years. Number three, why baptism? Well, it's a public symbol that our sins have been forgiven. A public symbol that our sins have been forgiven. There's multiple symbols. It's not just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but there's multiple symbols that you'll see in the next few minutes. Acts chapter two and verse 38, think about this. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are small groups and pockets in and around West Virginia that teach that you must be baptized in order to go to heaven. And they would say you can't go to heaven unless you've been baptized. Well, the question I often ask when I engage these men and women is, what about all the hundreds of other verses? There's like 130 verses alone in the New Testament that say all you gotta do to go to heaven is believe in Christ. So what do we do with this verse? Because this is about the only verse that they use. What do we do with this verse? Well, it's very simple. If you're taking notes, the preposition for could also be translated in English as on the basis of. Many other places in the New Testament it's translated on the basis of. So he says, be baptized on the basis of the forgiveness of your sins. Your sins have been forgiven, great. Now go get baptized to publicly show what God has done. Acts chapter 22 in verse 16 is another verse. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. This is about the second and I believe the only other verse that's often used to say that you have to be baptized to have your sins forgiven. Well, this one has an easy answer as well. The timing of the participles in this verb, there's three things going on, you gotta get up, actually four, be baptized, wash your sins away, call on his name. What this shows us is this. In the early church, baptism was so closely connected to the timing of salvation that often it all happened at the same time. For instance, an invitation might be this. Hey, we've got water in the baptistry right now, which we actually don't, but if we did, we got water in the baptistry right now, right? Right now, stand up out of your seat. Believe in Jesus, let him wash your sins away and right now be baptized. Well, I didn't say anything there that was contrary to the scriptures. You clearly understand what I mean. Titus chapter three and verse five makes it plain. Jesus saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, that includes baptism, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Physical baptism does not spiritually wash our sins away, but it's a physical illustration of what God has already done to our hearts spiritually. I have a wedding ring on my finger. I wear it most of the time. Um, I would say that I take it off for small, rare occasions, like if I'm working on the car, but I don't work on my car anymore. Um, you wouldn't want me working on car. I do take it off to go to the gym when I'm lifting those two and a half pound, uh, you know, dumbbells, I, it hurts, uh, these delicate hands. And so I have a rubber, actually a rubber, uh, wedding ring my wife gave me, um, when I go to the gym, but i wear this wedding ring, not because it makes me saved or makes me married. I wear this wedding ring because I am married and I want the world to know about it. Now, it's not a problem for me to take my wedding ring off. I have a good good reason to take it off. But it is a problem if I refuse to wear it because I'm ashamed of what it symbolizes. And again, it's not eternally a problem if you haven't yet been baptized, but you've put, put your faith in Jesus. But my question is, why not put on the symbol this summer? Why not make the decision this summer? I'm gonna be baptized because I wanna publicly declare that my sins have been forgiven and Jesus has washed them away. It's a symbol of an inward spiritual truth. Number four, why baptism? It's a public testimony that God is changing us from the inside out. A public testimony that God is changing us from the inside out. Now, we remember at the beginning of the message, I read the story about the people of the city of Samaria who came to faith in Jesus. They does not give any of their names except one, and this guy's name was Simon. And the reason I believe Luke included Simon's name because Simon was a famous sinner Simon was like the town ma- magician. He was the town sorcerer. People feared Simon. He would be a lot like a witch doctor in, in some parts of the world. People thought he had special powers, and most likely he did. Even in the Old Testament, we see people like, who c- c- contested with Moses, and they had spiritual demonic powers to do all sorts of things. That is very, very real, and we're going to start talking about it this fall when we go through the book of Ephesians. But when you think about Simon, Simon was probably possessed by the devil himself or a demon. Luke tells us that many people in Samaria were possessed. It doesn't say Simon specifically, but we know this was one bad dude. He comes to faith in Jesus. Notice verse 13. It wasn't fake faith, but God tells us he truly believed. Verse 13 Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Now, I love verse 18, because what we're going to see is that Simon, like a new Christian, didn't have it all together. And I don't think, I think Peter might have been a little rough on him, but I'm not one to correct Peter. Verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said... Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Time out for a second. That's all he knew. He he knew that people would pay him money. He would tell them their future. That's all he knew. He, He saw the world. He thought through money. So he's just simply saying what he, the way he saw the world. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. (laughs) Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Tell us what you really think, Peter. What do you really think? Then Simon answered, pray, you can picture his, 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 his teeth chattering, his lip quivering, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. What do we see in this passage is that new believers don't have it all together yet. Actually, veteran believers don't have it all together yet. We see that new believers sometimes say dumb things. And we also know that veteran believers sometimes say dumb things. But Luke includes this story He says he genuinely believed, he was genuinely baptized, but it reminds us that baptism is a picture of not only the initial salvation, but it's a picture of the ongoing transformation as God cleans up our lives. Here's a proof text, Titus 3, 5 again. It's just a different part. Jesus saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons we want you to take pictures of baptism and we video baptism is because the more we can look back on those pictures and the memory, it will remind us that God continually transforms our lives. Well, there's one more reason for baptism. A sixth and final, or excuse me, a fifth reason, then a sixth. A little ahead of myself. Fifth, it's a public illustration that Jesus is the only ark that can save us from the flood of God's judgment to come. Jesus is the only ark that can save us from the flood of God's judgment to come. Now in Genesis chapter seven, we read the account, the true historical narrative of the worldwide flood. The ark was literal, the flood was literal, Noah was literal, it was all literal, all right? But there's a spiritual application that Peter's gonna draw for us that we can't finish this message without bringing out, and that is that baptism actually not only draws us to Jesus, and not only draws us to the death, burial, and resurrection, and not only draws us to having our sins washed away, but in some unique way, baptism actually points us to the ark to Noah and Jesus as its ultimate fulfillment. 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21. Think of this. God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of words packed in there, but it's important that we see this. Just as the ark in the water provided salvation from judgment, Peter says, believe in Jesus Christ as your ark who will ultimately save you from judgment. I said last summer we went whitewater rafting with a few of our members of our executive team on the New River. I love whitewater rafting. It's a blast. Pastor John's taking a big group of you, I think, next weekend. I think it's in your bulletin or on the website. There's still time to sign up. But while we were there, it was just one boat. I'm sure he won't do this with y'all. But while we were there, he's the guide, professional guide. He said, I'm going to take you up under this waterfall because it'll be fun right? What kind of idiot takes you under a waterfall and a raft because it'll be fun. Sorry, John, because it'll be fun. So, you know, the other guys in the boat are all excited, like, yeah, man, under a waterfall. And John's explaining that if we can hit this waterfall just right, the boat will actually like get shot out and it'll capsize. And man, it's going to be great. And you got to be careful that you don't get sucked under the waterfall. And I'm hearing him say all this, like, no way. This is crazy. You know, I'm, I'm young. i got young kids. My life flashes before my eyes. No, I, I'm not going to have any part in this. Well, I got outvoted, uh, which happens a lot. And, and so we're, we're in the raft and they're all like, you know, going hard at the waterfall. They're hoping that the boat gets catapulted out of the waterfall and they flip. And I don't know what they're hoping for. I was just hoping to get out of there alive. And so I, I, I paddled with the rest of them. We got up underneath that waterfall. The waterfall's beaten down. The boat acts like it's gonna start tipping. I didn't wanna die. So I just assumed even if the raft tips or flips out, if I hang on to it hard enough, I'll be okay. So there's that middle piece to a raft that goes across from side to side. I straddled it like a horse, like this. I dove on top of it and hugged it like this the whole time. And, And needless to say, they made fun of me for that. I didn't care. I'm still alive. That's what really matters. I clung, I, I hung on to that raft because I knew it was the source of life. Noah, he, he hung to, clung to the, the ark because he knew it was the source of life. And so what Peter is saying is this, in the judgment of God, cling to Christ because he's the only source of life. And every time somebody is baptized, yes, we're to think about Jesus. Yes, we're to think about washing our sins away. But we can also see this beautiful picture of the ark and how Jesus fulfills it spiritually. Number six and lastly, it's a public celebration that we are part of God's spiritual family. Baptism is a public celebration that we are part of God's spiritual family. In Matthew 28, notice how Jesus emphasizes baptism. This isn't me. This isn't Bible Center Church, this is Jesus. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came to them and said, "'All authority in heaven and on earth "'has been given to me. "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, "'baptizing them in the name of the Father "'and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, "'teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you.'" Jesus said, "'Believe and be baptized.'" We see it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul uses the spiritual picture or the physical picture of baptism to point to a spiritual reality. And he says this, "'Just as a body, though one has many parts, "'but all its many parts are from one body, "'so it is with Christ. "'For we were all baptized by one spirit "'as to form one body. "'Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, "'we were all given the same spirit to drink.'" Here's my encouragement to you this summer. Get baptized as soon as possible. Be baptized this summer. I believe there's so many of you, probably most of you, you are here, you wanna follow Jesus, you would call yourself a Christian. If you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Christ, we're glad you're here. This is a great place to engage with questions, kind of seek what is the Lord all about? What is the Bible all about? What is the gospel all about? But I believe by large, most of us would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But I also recognize that there are many of us a part of Bible Center Church. Maybe you have not yet been baptized. I would love to help you get baptized, to baptize you this summer. And what we're gonna do is every Sunday in June, in every service, we're gonna fill up the baptismal. You have the opportunity to be baptized any Sunday in June in any service. So if you're on vacation for like the next three weeks, then we'll get you when you get back from vacation. We've got a class today that I'd love you to be a part of. It's about 15 minutes long. I'm gonna be teaching it, I love baptism so much, I just do not wanna give this up, I love baptism. I'd love for you to join me right after this service back in the living room off to your right, my left in that classroom. If you wanna go home and think about it, come back tonight, it's the same class, six o'clock, we'll tell you what baptism again is all about, answer any questions that you might have, actually tonight give you a tour of the baptistry so you know what it looks like back there, it's nothing, nothing fancy. Let us help you. Why are we so passionate about this? Why would we preach a message on baptism? Well, six reasons. It's one of the first things we do after we decide to follow Jesus. It's a public confession that we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a public symbol that our sins have been forgiven. It's a public testimony that God is changing us from the inside out. It's a public illustration that Jesus is the ark who saves us from the flood of God's judgment. And it's a public celebration that we are part of God's spiritual family. Get baptized this summer if you're not already. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at nine and 11 a.m.